Today we are wrapping up our series that we've been in the book of Philippians, and uh, next week we're going to start a new series that will take us up to, uh, into the Christmas season. So um, today, though, we are going to kind of finish off our series in this, this great New Testament letter that we've been in for several weeks, and I'm, uh, I have the privilege of wrapping this series up, and I'm excited about it. Um, life is going to get really hard for all of us at some point. I think I'm stating the obvious. You know, you can be cruising along in life and everything can be going smoothly. Things can be going your way. And then seemingly out of nowhere, everything can change. In a day or even in a moment. You can get really bad news from somebody. You can have a loved one get sick, or maybe your car decides to quit on you, or you lose your job, or you find out that someone you've trusted and someone who's been close to you for many, many years has been lying to you. Maybe your parents announce that they're getting divorced, or one of your kids gets into trouble, or maybe one of your kids uh, decides to join the military, and then they tell you that they're going to be uh, shipped off overseas for a year, and, you know, there's no guarantee of their return. All of those things have happened and will keep on happening because life is just really hard at times, and it's, we're never really prepared for those hard times. And when hard times come, there are a lot of different ways that we can respond. We can become angry. We can get angry with God. We can blame God. We can, we can shut down. We can run and hide. We can distance ourselves from people who we actually need, you know, to stay close to us, to help us get through those things. We can do all kinds of things when hard times come into our life. One of the things I think that most of us do when hard times come is we start to worry or we get anxious, right? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about anxiety. And worry and anxiety, when you think about worry, you think about anxiety, they sound like minor problems, but the Bible treats them as significant obstacles to your relationship with God and other people. Significant obstacles, not minor, but big problems. The good news is that God tells us exactly how to handle worry. So for those of you who are here this morning and you struggle with anxiety or you struggle with worry, you struggle with fear, the good news is you can choose, you can choose joy instead of worry. You can, you can choose peace. You have a choice in the matter. You don't have to keep living under the burden and the stress and the paralyzing power of anxiety. You can be set free. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, um, Paul is sort of starting to finish his letter, conclude this, this letter that he's written to the Philippian church, and this is what he says. We're just going to look at these four verses to start. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
I like the way that uh, Mark Twain talked about worry. He once said, my life has been full of problems, most of which have never happened. That's a really good way to talk about anxiety, right? It's, it's inviting stress and trouble into your life that hasn't actually happened yet and may never happen. My wife and I have uh, five kids, and one of our children, who will not be named here today, is a worrier. They just, they just are a worrier. They're always thinking about what could happen. They get nervous very easily. They're constantly asking questions, mostly what-if questions. You know, what if this happens? What if that? I've been, uh, over the last few weeks, I've been dealing with mild chest pain. I don't know what it was. I haven't been able to sleep. It's just this, this mild chest pain. And I've gone to a couple doctors, and they're, they're kind of guessing, you know, what is it? Let's try this. Let's try that. Um, it hasn't really improved. And, um, and so my parents were visiting with us this past week from Omaha, and I, and I was telling my mom about this problem I've been having. And this, this child started asking all kinds of questions. Like, they said, Dad, what if something's really wrong? What if your heart is bad? What if you have cancer? What if you have, like, a tumor growing in your chest or something like that? And, and, and I, started saying, I started saying, there's nothing to worry about. You know, the doctors know what they're doing. And my mom, my mom actually responded with, with much more wisdom, which is, usually happens. She said, hey, this is not your problem. This is God's problem. Can you trust God with this? Could you pray and talk to God about this? Does God know? You think that God knows exactly what's going on with your dad? And it got my child thinking. And that's exactly how I should have responded, right? Because actually to say, hey, there's nothing to worry about, that's not even true. There are all kinds of things to worry about. There's all kinds of things that could happen. And that is why worry and anxiety can be so debilitating and destructive. Because we're not made to carry that weight. We're not made to carry the weight of anxiety. Anxiety is not from God. It's the fallout from sin. Because when we sin, we scramble. We tend to hide and we run and we worry and we fear. When the one thing that we need to do is go to God over and over again. Go to God. Take our concerns. Take our fears. Take our anxieties to God. We're not made to carry those. We're not made to carry that weight. The word that is translated anxiety in the text in Philippians 4 that we read is, is actually means having a disturbed mind. If you are someone who constantly worries about things and you're, you have anxiety in your heart, you, in God's eyes, you are a disturbed person. It means, it means to have a divided heart so that it, one part of you is thinking about hope and hoping for the best and the other part is hanging on to fears. So you're kind of coming apart. And there's an uneasiness, there's an unrest deep within you that you can't seem to let go of. And it's, it's robbing you of your relationship with God, it's robbing you of peace, it's robbing you of joy. It, it's a pretty big deal. And so the, as the Apostle Paul begins to wrap up this letter, he basically says, hey, whatever happens in your life, no matter how hard it is, no matter how unprepared you are for it, don't worry. Don't worry. Do not give anxiety a foothold. Don't be anxious about anything, he says. Anything. Don't be anxious about anything. 
And I think I should remind you where the Apostle Paul is actually writing this letter from. He's not writing from a quiet retreat center, sitting on the edge of a pier, overlooking a beautiful, calm lake while the sun rises over the trees. He's not sitting in his study with the, you know, the fireplace crackling in the background. He's writing from prison. That's where he's writing this letter from. And not only is he, is he in prison, on, he might have been under house arrest. Either way, he's not free. There's a very real possibility his execution date is soon going to be set. He may never be set free, for all he knows. Not only that, but he's constantly concerned about all the churches, all the little churches that he's planted all over the Roman Empire, constantly praying for them, and concerned that the culture is going to influence those churches more than those in churches are going to influence the culture. On top of that, one of, one of Philippi's best, most gifted pastors, he came out to visit Paul and to serve with Paul, but when he got there, he got sick and almost died. And then on top of that, there were people following Paul around, um, talking bad behind his back about him, falsely accusing him, discrediting him, and many people believed those false accusations and were questioning whether or not Paul was qualified, you know, to, to preach and to teach and to, and to plant churches. There were also enemies of the cross of Christ, and they were damaging the church. They were damaging the churches. They were going around spreading lies about Jesus and about what it means to follow Jesus. And then, if that weren't enough, there were two prominent women in the church in Philippi that we read about in chapter, the beginning of chapter 4 who were fighting with each other. And the, and the fighting and the, and the quarreling was so bad that the whole church was in trouble. The, the, the health of the church, the harmony of the church was at stake. And so Paul had to call those two women out and tell them to stop fighting and to agree with one another. And he asked the whole church to help them, to help them get over this and get past this. So Paul, he's writing these words of God. He has plenty of things to worry about, but he's not worried. He's not worried. He's not afraid. He's not losing any sleep at night. He's not paralyzed by any what-if questions. He's not backing down. He's not giving up. He's pressing on. He's full of joy and peace and boldness. And that's how I want to live. Isn't that how you want to live? Don't you want to have you know, joy and peace and courage ruling in your heart? I bet all of you would say, yes, I want that today. But the problem is there could be, and there probably is, anxiety hiding out in your heart and keeping you from experiencing the peace of God in your innermost being. So how do we deal with that? How do we deal with anxiety? What do we do? There's a couple of lifestyle changes or habits in the text that God says we need in order to live an abundantly joyful life in Christ. And we're just, there's actually more than a couple, but we're just going to look at two this morning. The first one is the first verse that we read, chapter, or verse 4 of chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. That's key number one, rejoice in the Lord always. And here's the thing about rejoicing. When our lives are going really well, it's easy to rejoice, right? It's easy to be happy. When things are going well for us. When you get the new job or you get a promotion, it's easy to be happy. When you get a big raise, when you have a healthy baby, when your kid does something great, when a loved one is healed, 
when your prodigal son comes home, when your teenage daughter comes to you and says, Mom, I just, I just want to spend more time with you so I can be just like you when I grow up. That's cause for rejoicing, which I can tell happens to some of you. When your wife comes home and says, I just want you to know I'm so sorry and I now realize I've been wrong the whole time. Those moments are cause for rejoicing. However, that is not the kind of rejoicing that the text talks about. The text doesn't tell us to rejoice in your circumstances always. It doesn't say that. What does it say? It says rejoice in the Lord always. That's very different, by the way, than rejoice in your circumstances always. We're, how can we possibly rejoice in our circumstances always? That's not what we're commanded to do. So what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord always? I want to just give you a, a, get you started thinking about this. First of all, it means to recognize who God is. It means to recognize who God is. That's how we start. We tend to create God in our image when in fact God has created us in his image. And that's a big reason why we struggle to recognize who God is and also to rejoice in the Lord is because we get that backwards. And so in uh, Philippians 3.20, the apostle wrote this, and this is, I want you to think about what this verse says about the Lord. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who is the Lord? The Lord is Jesus. That's his name. It's Jesus. He is our Savior. He is our deliverer. He's our rescuer. He's our redeemer. He is the Lord. That means that he has authority over us. He's our master. He's our king. And so this verse and, and many other verses tell us not only who Jesus is, but what he does. He rescues people. He comforts people. He heals people. He restores people. He sets people free. Those are some of the things that Jesus does. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, Jesus actually gave us a kind of inaugural address. Right before he started his ministry, he kind of said, Here, here's what my ministry is going to be about. Here's what I'm going to do for the next you know, three years. It's, it's kind of like what you know, the next president says when he gets up in front of the nation and says, Here's what my administration is going to be about. Jesus did that right before he launched off into his public ministry. And this is what Jesus said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Those are all things that Jesus said he was going to do, and, the, and of course he did all of it, right, and more. And here's what I want you to know, my friends, that all of those things that Jesus did, that is cause for rejoicing. That's who Jesus is. That's what he does. All of those things are good for us. We need all of those things. Jesus' first miracle, actually, that he did after he said this, he went to a wedding in Cana of Galilee, or it was a miracle or sign, whatever you want to call it, and he turned 180 gallons of water into the best wine that any of those people had ever tasted. 
And what he was doing with that first miracle or sign is he was basically saying, this is what my ministry is going to be all about. It's going to be about bringing joy to people. He, think about that. He didn't rescue a person with his first miracle. He didn't heal a person. He didn't restore their sight. He didn't raise someone from the dead. He saved a party. <laughs> and he's basically saying, this is what my kingdom is going to be about, rejoicing. And I want to share God's joy with everyone I touch. That's our God. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's doing today in the world. His entire ministry was about restoring people's joy in God and showing people that whatever you believed about God was, was wrong. Whatever you thought about God, I mean, you need to put that aside because God is way better than you ever imagined him to be. You think you can find more joy in this world than you can with God? <laughs> oh, you, you've got it wrong. Nobody will ever give you more joy than I can give you with my Father in heaven. His joy is contagious, and the best decision you could ever make is to seek God above everything else in your life, because only God can give you lasting joy and peace. So we are supposed to rejoice in the fact that through faith we are united to Jesus, and nothing, nothing at all can separate us from his love. And that should give us joy. That, that's what it means to rejoice in the Lord, <laughs> is to think about who Jesus is, to think about who God is, what Jesus has already done, what he's going to do. There's a great quote from uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a British preacher back in the 50s, I believe, and he said this about rejoicing. Rejoicing in the Bible is much deeper than simply being happy about something. Paul directed that we should rejoice in the Lord always, but this can't mean always feel happy since no one can command someone to always have a particular emotion. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks it needs. I think that's a great description of the joy that's available to us at any moment, no matter what you're going through. If you think about that last comment that he said, that when you have this joy, you're able to kind of loosen your grip on the things you think you need. I mean, how many times do we mope around because we think we need something that we can't seem to get our hands on. <laughs> you know, we think that if we don't have this thing, we can't be happy. And until we get this thing, until we get the new job, until we get the promotion, until we get the car, until we have our own child, until I'm reconciled with my mom or dad, until I, I can't rejoice because my joy is dependent on my circumstances and we just can't be content. And Paul goes on to say later in this chapter, in chapter 4, in verse 11, he says, For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to, to abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you know what he's saying? There's a secret to having this lasting joy and peace. And it's not having everything you need or everything you think you need. It's Christ. That's it. That's the secret. It's Jesus Christ. It's knowing him. It's trusting him. It's resting in him. It's a relationship with him. That's the secret. And if you have Christ, and he is your first love, you don't need anything else. You don't need all those other things that people are, are striving for to find peace in this world. At the end of the book of Habakkuk, the prophet was upset that the evil people in his city were getting away with all these wicked things, and, and they were seeming to prosper, even though they were doing wicked things. But listen to what he wrote in chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. I'll bet any, any one of us could look at that verse and just kind of fill in our own, our own empty pursuits. We could, we could say, you know what? Even though I hate my job, even though my car is a piece of junk, even though I can't seem to stay healthy, even though I'm struggling with this, this or that relationship, even though my dreams never seem to become a reality, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. He is making a decision. He is resolved to find his joy in his peace, not in his surroundings, not in his bank account or his... his uh, his economic status, or anything else. Instead, he's looking to the God of his salvation for his security. And I think what he's saying is that if you're trusting in God, you will bring, you, you will be able to find joy no matter what is going on around you because of who God is. And you'll be able to bring all of your troubles to him and even be thankful when you have nothing. And so that brings us to the second, the second key to finding joy in Christ and living without fear and anxiety. The Apostle Paul says, take all of your requests to God with thanksgiving. That's it. Take all of your requests to God. Now, now, let me just state the obvious first. If you're not bringing all of your requests to God with thanksgiving, you're probably not trusting God with all your life. You're probably not focused on God. You're probably focused on keeping it together. Maybe you're focused on problem solving or self-preservation. But the truth is that if we are only bringing the big things to God, which many of us do, you know, we tend to, we tend to try to control and, and to manage our circumstances in life, in such a way that we can be comfortable and have an easy, you know, a life that's as easy as possible, so that we can look as good as possible. 
and stay safe and all of those kinds of things. And then when something big happens that's outside of our control, then we go to God. And we say, okay, God, this one I can't handle. Will you help me? But that's not the approach. That's not the lifestyle that, that we're after here. The lifestyle is take everything to God. Everything. Everything. Any care that you have, any concern that you have, God is interested in every single detail of your life. There is nothing too small for God to care about in your life. By the way, he knows every single detail of your life. He knows it all. Everything. And he cares about all of it. And he wants us to bring all of our cares, all of our concerns, all of our worries to him with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. And this should make us think of something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. This will be a familiar passage to many of you. When Jesus said this, listen to these words. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now think about the things that we still worry about a couple thousand years later. We still worry about food. We do. We worry about what's in our food now. We don't worry about having enough. We worry about what's in our food. We worry about our health. We worry about our kids' future. We worry about germs. We worry about clothing. We worry about safety. We worry about getting enough things done. We worry about influence. We worry about insurance. We worry about sports. Our kids' sports. My wife and I were sitting, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but why not? My wife and I were sitting yesterday watching our seven-year-old compete in the state gymnastics meet, and my wife felt sick about it. She's just sitting there feeling sick because, oh, I mean, like, because she was in competitive gymnastics too, and she knows it's like really intense, and it is intense, and just thinking, is this really that big of a deal? <laughs> and of course it is. But those, even those things, we can say, listen, let's quiet ourselves right now, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Right there in the bleachers, why not? Let's take it all to him in prayer. And, and last but not least, we worry about money. We worry about money. And we don't worry about having too much. People 
and ourselves included, are worried about their lives, and at the same time, we're not worried about God. That's the problem. We're not concerned about God. We're concerned about the little things. (laughs) But God is sovereign over all of it. He is in control of all of it. He knows exactly what you need. And that's why we're told, seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, and all that other stuff will be added to you. You don't have to be anxious about it. You're wasting your life. So when, when, when uh, Jesus says, or when Paul says, bring all your requests to God with thanksgiving, that's kind of like Jesus saying, seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness. Paul's saying something very similar when he says, bring all your requests to God with thanksgiving. So here's what we do. We say, thank you, God, for our food. Thank you, God, for the money we do have. Thank you, God, for our health. Thank you for our children. Thank you that none of these things can take, none of these things I'm worried about can take your place, God. None of these things have authority over my life. Only you do, God. Thank you, God, that I can talk to you about anything and everything. Thank you that you are interested in every single little detail of my life. Thank you, God, that you are in control and not me. That's what it means. So what does this have to do with us? You know, know, this series is called Side by Side. And we've been talking about, so we've taken that from chapter 1, verse 27, where the apostle says, um, I, all that I care about, really, the biggest thing to me is that you're standing firm, side by side, striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. That's the, kind of the thesis statement of this whole letter. So what does what uh, this whole anxiety problem have to do with that? Well, here's what I think it has to do with the church. Because we tend to think of anxiety as an individual problem, Right? But it's not. Anxiety doesn't just divide you, it divides us. Anxiety is a relationship killer. Okay, it never just affects you. And that's why the Apostle Paul tells the church to keep anxiety outside. Don't let anxiety in here. That's never going to help us. All right? This is about us. We need to choose to rejoice in the Lord during hard times. We need to remind one another who God is during those times. We need to be gentle with one another and help restore one another. We need to keep on bringing all of our requests to God together. You know, we have a bad habit. I've got to, we have a bad habit, my friends, of reading the Bible as if it was written just for us, just for me. This is about me. When in fact, most of the Bible was written to a nation And the rest of it was written to local churches. So when Paul's writing these things, he's writing to a group of believers who are living in hard times. Just like us. He's writing to a church. So this is not just about you. And it never will be. This is about us. Of course it has to do with you. Anything you're going going through is going to affect us too because we're a body. We're a body. When one part of the body suffers, even if it's a little pinky finger, the rest of the body feels it, right? And that's why we are in this struggle together. 
That's why when, we, when, when I'm going through anxiety and worry, I'm not supposed to do that on my own. I've got to invite other people alongside me to help me, to help me get through that. So, it's true confession time for me. I have been struggling with anxiety lately. This is something I struggle with. I have not mastered this lifestyle. <laughs> I need this message just as much as anybody else here. I needed this message this last couple weeks, actually, and I'll tell you why. As I mentioned earlier, I've been having chest pain the last four weeks, and I don't know exactly what it is. Okay, that's a source of anxiety for me. I haven't been able to sleep but a couple hours a night. A couple weeks ago, my wife and I found out we're going to lose our health insurance at the end of this year. Uh, right around that time, Dennis Gustafson died. And as a pastor, I'm burdened with this thought. Who will take his place? How will our church press on without Dennis Gustafson? Yesterday, I was driving to my son's basketball game from that gymnastics meet I was telling you about when suddenly my entire drive shaft just broke off my truck and was dragging on the freeway. I know that some of you are going through a lot worse. I do. But I struggle just like you do. I do. There, I have plenty of things to worry about in my life and to think about what's next. You know, what's going to happen next? But I want to leave you today with a promise and a picture. The promise is this. When you live a lifestyle of rejoicing in the Lord and continual prayer, something happens and it's not by accident. It's because of a promise and that promise is found in Philippians 4 verse 7 where the Apostle Paul says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is an awesome promise, my friends. That is an awesome promise. That when you surrender your, when you say no to anxiety and you turn away from that worry and you instead choose to turn and hope in the God of your salvation, a supernatural power takes residence in your heart and protects you from any damage that anxiety could do in your life. Now here's the picture. I'd like you to imagine a little house with two rooms. Room one is called the heart, and room two is called the mind. The heart and the mind. And coming up the steps to the house are two big, burly, mean, scary-looking dudes. One is called anxiety, the other is called worry. They each plan to move in and live in the only two rooms in the house. And they come to the door and they're ready to break it down. And guess what? There's no way you could stop them. You're no match for either one of them. But then something happens. One really big dude, bigger than those two, comes to the door and he stares down the two scary looking guys and they say, who are you? And he says, I am the peace of Almighty God. And you are not coming into this house. And he kicks him to the curb. And they run away. So my question to you this morning is, do you have the peace of God ruling in your house today? Let's pray together.
Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has set us free from the burden of sin and guilt and the condemnation that it brings. He has set us free from the oppression of worry and anxiety. And you have given us constant access, our Lord Jesus, to the peace of God. It is ours to choose. We choose to trust you today, Lord. No matter what is going on in our lives, no matter what is going on in our our surroundings, no matter what fears and worries that we have about the future, which we can't control, we admit today, God, that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are for us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that nothing in this world can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. And we ask you, God, that your peace would settle into our hearts and guard us and protect us. In the name of Jesus today, we pray. Amen.